Please turn in your Bible to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 records for us the high priestly prayer of Jesus. That's what it's been called. It it's also can be accurately called the Lord's Prayer. And in this prayer, we've been studying uh, a little bit more in depth because of some of the some of the content is so very important. And I hope that today the Lord will give us hearts that can listen and discern what Jesus is trying to communicate and what John has recorded for us. But as we work through the prayer, it kind of has three parts to it. It has a part where Jesus prays for himself. And in that request, he prays that he might be glorified. He might have the glory that he had with the Father before before uh, eternity began, so to speak, before the plan got started with creation, before the foundation of the world. He also then prays for the disciples. He prays uh, for their protection and their preservation, that God the Father would keep them and, and not one of them would be lost, just like Jesus kept them while he was here in his earthly ministry the first time, that they would be preserved, and secondly, that they would be sanctified through the study and application of the truth. And that as a result of that study and application of the truth in verse 15, 16, and 17, they might go out on the mission, and that is to take the message of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, to other people so that others might come to the same faith that the disciples have. Now, the third part of the prayer is a request for future disciples because Jesus said, and we looked at this briefly last week in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word. So now the prayer has taken a little bit of a turn, not only praying for the disciples, but for those in the future who would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior because of their ministry. So in essence, the fact that you and I are here today in this place, and if you can sit here and assure, uh, be affirmed and assured in your heart that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've put your faith in His finished work on the cross, that He paid the price for your sin, that He was buried and that He rose again, and that the resurrection certifies your justification, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, that I want you to know that the fact that you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior is part of the ongoing answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So today, we're going to continue to look at this prayer. We're going to finish it up, Lord willing, this morning. We're going to look at two more requests that the Lord makes of the Father. The first one is found in verses 21 to 23. We'll pick up the context again in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you have loved me. Interesting article this morning on the front page of the newspaper, the Sun Gazette, where it talked about an interfaith group getting to get together over the weekend. 
and having a, a big meeting and a time of, of prayer. And they were praying for the healing of the world. And uh, we had a number of different denominations that were a part of that. And uh, there was some entertainment. There was some, some music that was being used. There was secular music as well as spiritual music. And they were, they were getting together and seeking to demonstrate a unity. And uh, their prayer time was for the healing of the world. Now, the question we have as we go to the text this morning is this. What is Jesus praying about when we look at these two requests? The request for union and unity. And then later on, the second request. What does he mean when he prays that they may be one even as we are one? Well, the first request has to deal with being united together through our union with Christ and the Father. Notice verse 21, because uh, one of the things we have to do as we try to define what unity is, is we have to make sure that the parameters are set by the Scripture. Okay, And there is a big push within Christianity, there has been now for over 100 years, to focus on developing an outward organizational unity around the world. Sometimes that has been uh, characterized and represented by certain organizations that some in this room may be more familiar than others with. Uh, On a national level, we would have groups like the National Council of Churches, and then there's a World Council of Churches, and there's a a World Congress, and there's uh, association of evangelicals and there's fundamental groups and there's all kinds of groups and the question that we have to ask ourselves is the unity that jesus is talking about in this passage is it talking about organizational unity what i want you to see is how jesus defines and what he prays for and what he prays for uh, is in verse 21 that they, meaning the disciples and those that come to faith in Jesus after the disciples, the verse, uh, the word they in verse 21 refers back to the people in verse 20 who would be saved. That's important. So those who would come to faith in Christ may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So our unity now is being defined and explained, and it has some very specifics that have to be met. This unity uh, that we are to experience is first based on the unity that Jesus and the Father experience. Well, that begs us to ask the question, how do Jesus and the Father show their unity? Because if we're supposed to be like them, and we're still supposed to be in union with them and display that kind of unity, Jesus says, let them be unified even as we are. And the words even as expressed to us a word picture. It's a simile. It's a comparison. And so we can't invent our own criteria for union. We can't come up with some kind of man-made external standards. We have to allow the text of Scripture to explain to us how is the Son and the Father, how are they in union? How do they display their unity? John MacArthur helped to flesh this out. I'll share these real quickly with you in his commentary on John. He said first that the Father and the Son display their unity in terms of motive. How they go about what they're doing, their motives are the same, and that is to glorify themselves. The glory of God is the all-consuming aspect of what it 
means to see the Godhead accomplish its decree. We come to the scriptures, and whether you realize it or not, your pastors come to the scriptures not with a man-centered focus, not looking at scripture through the lens of, of how it blesses man and how can man explain it. We come to the scriptures with a doxological purpose. That is, how is God displaying his glory throughout history? We come to the Scriptures with that because we find that the Scriptures give us that. The Father does all things for His glory. And that's really the summation of what Paul prays at the end of Romans chapter 11. That all things that the Father does, all things that the Godhead accomplishes, is to the praise of the glory of God the Father. And Jesus and the Father are united in motive. They're also united in mission. And that is that Jesus Christ came into the world in submission and obedience to the Father to save sinners. Thank you, Mike. Because <laughs> as we sit here acting like we're in school, we ought to remember that we were all sinners saved by grace. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to save sinners? He said he didn't come into the world to condemn. He came to rescue lost sheep. They're in agreement on that. There is unity there of purpose. They're also in unity of truth and unity of holiness. We've already seen these in John 17. Jesus says, I have given them your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Help them to grow to become like us. Help them to grow in holiness. Help them to be more set apart from the world and from sin and more set apart unto us. How's that going to happen? By the study and the taking in of God's word, the application of truth. And they're both in agreement on this. They're unified. Listen, you can't have any kind of unity among people apart from truth. And you can't negotiate away truth in order to have unity. Because the Father and the Son don't do that. They're united in holiness. And lastly, they're united in love. What a great mystery that is to consider how Jesus says to the Father, you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Would you like to think on that one a little bit? I'll let you do that on your own because that's a deep, deep well to plumb. I don't understand it. How the Father loves the Son before the foundation of the world. But I do know this. Jesus prays and he says that those that follow the disciples would be brought into a union in such a way that it reflects the union that Christ and the Father have together. That's what verse 21 says. That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And now this unity is explained further. Not only does it reflect how the Father and the Son are in union together, but now it's further explained in saying that in order for there to be union among the disciples, those disciples have to be connected to Jesus and the Father. Here's where things I think are such a blessing to us this morning because this prayer began to be answered on the day of Pentecost. Because it is the sending of the Spirit by Jesus who baptized the disciples, just like John the Baptist prophesied. 
He said, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming after me who will baptize you with the Spirit. That's Jesus. Jesus baptized that initial group in Acts chapter 20 with the Spirit, and they were united together with him and the Father. The Spirit coming resulted in union with Christ because the Spirit came from Christ. He says, I will go to the Father and I will send you another comforter. The Spirit comes from Christ and when the Spirit comes, that unites the disciples to Christ for all eternity. He said in John chapter 14, I will send another comforter. He will dwell with you and dwell in you forever. This is the initial answer to the prayer of Jesus Christ. This is how union with God is established and maintained throughout this age. It is through the ministry of the Spirit. Now, how does that apply to you and me? Well, at salvation, if you look at verse 21, it says that they may also be in us. Ask yourself the question, how does a sinner find himself in Jesus and in the Father? How is that possible? How could a lost sinner... Guilty before a holy God, deserving of judgment and the second death. How can that sinner who is dead in his trespasses and sins find himself to be in a union with a holy, truthful God? How is that possible? It is only possible by being born again. It is only possible through regeneration. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. What the scriptures affirm in the New Testament is that at salvation, we are given a new nature. We are made new by the power of the Spirit. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are partakers of the divine nature. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, that it is Christ who lives through us. That means then, simply this, having the new nature, we now have Christ, who is God, the eternal Son of God, residing in us. That means then we are united with Him in spiritual life. He has given us life. In Him was life. Those who believe in Him have received what? Everlasting life. The Scriptures go on to explain then that a person who has believed on Jesus Christ as as their Savior has been given God's life. They have been regenerated and made alive. And they are brought into an eternal union with the Son and the Father through the work of the Spirit. And so, as we work through John 17 and we see Jesus' prayer, how can there be true union? How does a lost sinner deserving of hell come into a union with Christ and the Father? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit imparts new life to that person. Peter writes at the end of chapter 1, You were not born again with perishable seed, but you were born again with the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So when a person believes the message of the gospel, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When a person believes that message, 
They put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. The Spirit imparts to them new life. And they are brought into a vital spiritual union that lasts for all eternity with the Father and the Son. That's the work of the Spirit that does that. Jesus prays for this. And he says, Father, I pray that they might be one, even as you and I are one, that they may also be in us. Isn't that awesome? Now, that doesn't mean we're Mormons. That doesn't mean we're going to become gods like the Father and the Son, and someday we're going to get to rule our own planet. That's not what he's saying. It means we've been made new creations. And that sinners who were lost have now been found. They've been given new life. They've been made children of God. We are in the family and we've been united with the Father. We belong to Him. Jesus is not afraid to call us brother. We get to be with Him forever. And when God changes a person like that and He saves their soul, Jesus says at the end of verse 21, the world may believe that you sent me. When God changes lives, it is a testimony to the world. How can somebody who used to be this way be so radically different? So, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says that when we trusted Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit baptized us into the body of Christ. It is one body with many parts. So this union that Jesus is talking about is a spiritual union. And this prayer was first answered on the day of Pentecost and continues to be answered ever since then as the Lord adds daily to his church those who would be saved. This union and this unity that takes place then is a, a unity that is called a family. We call each other brothers and sisters. It's called a fellowship because we have Jesus in common it's called a body because there's one body with many parts and all of those parts are to function in such a way to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. It's called a holy temple where each one of us is a part of the temple. First Peter 2 says we are living stones and we're not dead stones, we're not cold stones, we're not purposeless, purposelessness stones. We have activity, we have life, we have purpose, we function within the spiritual temple. Part of that function, according to verses 9 and 10, is to become a proclaimer of the excellencies of the one who called us into his marvelous light. And as we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ, he uses the proclamation of that message so that more people hear the message of the gospel, more people believe on the message of the gospel as the Spirit works, more people are added to the body of Christ. And this prayer continues to be answered. And when you look at the parameters that Jesus gives about how unity takes place and how it must be defined, how truth has to govern it, how new life has to govern it, what we realize is the unity of verses 21, 22, and 23 is not primarily organizational. It's not even conformity so that uh, we show our unity by everybody looking the same and dressing the same and having the same haircuts because that's not what Jesus was praying about. It's not even agreement on every single thing. It is not just having one single church denomination. Paul explains this a little bit further. Would you turn over please to Ephesians chapter 4 where I think he captures and explains a little bit more what Jesus is praying for here. 
the idea of the followers of Jesus Christ being one as the Father and the Son are one, that prayer is not trying to encourage finding the least common ground that we can all agree on and then creating a large organizational unity and claiming to be one. That doesn't lead to life. Notice what Paul says. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The understanding of all of these things, we don't have to take, we don't have the time to be able to chase them all down. But understand this, as you work through chapter 17, the prayer for unity is based on, in necessity, the response of truth and the pursuit of holiness. You cannot have unity apart from truth. And in fact, what you'll often find is that Truth doesn't often bring together people organizationally. Truth often divides. Today, November 2nd, is really the closest Sunday to October 31st. And as such, we want to acknowledge a momentous time in church history. And uh, whether it was last Sunday or this Sunday, I'm not sure. But I'm going to call today for our discussion Reformation Sunday. And for a lot of you, maybe you don't know what that is. But Reformation Sunday is a pretty important watershed time in the history of the church. And we're talking about something that began well over 600 years ago. But as you look at church history, there is a moment that, that scholars and, and teachers and theologians look back and they can see this as a, a moment that grabbed the church's attention and began to help to see the church be revitalized. A guy by the name of Martin Luther, who was a Roman Catholic monk, had been doing some significant study. And, and one of the things that had happened in his study is he had been converted to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because he had been studying the book of Romans He'd been reading it aggressively and aggressively. And the most arresting part of that book was um, verses 16 and 17, especially the phrase that said, the just shall live by faith. And eventually the lights came on for him. The spirit gave him understanding and he realized it was not about works. It was not about trying to do all the externals and all of the behaviors that the church demanded. It was by faith in Jesus Christ. And that was more fully explained and And he was able to think that through as he got to chapters 3, 4, and 5. As a result, he began to study the scriptures and he realized that there was just a whole bunch of things that were not accurate and right in the church. His church, the, the organized church, the public church. So on October 31st, back in the 1500s, I forget the exact year, you'll have to forgive me for that. He went to the church door in Wittenberg and he nailed 
a series of statements. It's called the 95 Theses on the Door. And he began to point out all of these different things that the church was doing that were unbiblical. And he was a part of a great movement. A lot of it is reflected back to him. It was a, a time of renewal and reform in the broader church in Europe. And its effects are still felt in the church today. The church was organized. It was, if I could use a word, it was just so big, it was monolithic. The church was the church. But there was no life. Luther helped to emphasize the fact that the scriptures talked about the authority of the word of God. And as you studied the word of God and came under its authority, that salvation was by grace alone, not through works was not to be mediated through the church. And, and that that grace was experienced by faith alone. And the object of our faith, faith was to be Christ alone. And the reason for that was to be to the glory of God alone. And so those, those five statements, which later became known as the five solas, began a, a great work in the history of the church, primarily in Europe, that spread to the rest of the known world. And it recovered the gospel. And it helped the church to realize that it is not institutional organization that is the display of unity. It's not outward conformity to a institution's rules that displays unity. It is true unity when you have a person who is united to treat Jesus Christ forever by faith in his finished work on the cross. It is a spiritual unity. Can you imagine being a part of that time period? Can you imagine all of those years the organization began to grow and take on public power under the, the ruler named Constantine. That's in the 300s AD. And as the organization grew and the outward control grew, the spiritual side diminished and the message began to be lost more and more and more. Can you imagine losing the good news? Can you imagine not being a church that proclaims the good news anymore? Can you? Answer me, can you? Well, my goodness, we have a library uptown that dispenses the wisdom of man now instead of the word of God. We have a church that used to be a life-saving station down here that's now a funeral home. The churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3 don't exist anymore. Do you know why? Because they lost the purity of the gospel and the centrality of the truth of God's word. There was the churches that were embracing paganism and moral impurity and sexual sin. Jesus says, you've got some things going for you, Thyatira, but one thing you do is you let Jezebel hang around. She teaches my people to be immoral. What do you think is going to happen to all the churches in America if they begin to cave on the doctrinal stands of moral purity and what marriage is and when you should be having sex and when you shouldn't, what do you think is going to happen to those churches? They're going to become libraries and funeral homes and mosques and community centers. Can you imagine losing the gospel? I can. And that's what happens if you pursue Unity at the expense of truth and holiness. Can't do it. Listen, every time the gospel is given out, 
and a sinner responds in repentant faith, this prayer is answered. Because they're united to Jesus Christ forever. This is the testimony to the world. As you go through the scriptures, particularly in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 to 4, you realize that changed lives were what drew people to the message. Changed lives. Hey, this guy, this guy used to be demon-possessed. This guy used to be a cripple. This guy used to be a murderer. Paul's testimony was a riveting example of how the power of Jesus Christ can change people. Some of the people that are in this room today have testimonies that bear tribute to the fact that when a person is regenerated, they are changed. That that is a witness to a world that is watching. That's why your testimony, how you live your life, is absolutely so important because it gives credence and value to the words that you proclaim. There's a second request in here. We can't miss this. Would you look at it, please? Unity leads to glory. 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me. I've made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love wherewith you loved me may be in them and I in them. The second request in this prayer for the future is that we will be united in glory with Jesus forever. Listen, over the past two weeks, there's at least four family groups in our church that have been touched by death. I want you to look at verse 24 and realize the hope of glory Father, remember, the Father answers the prayers of Jesus. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory. This word see is so important and beautiful this morning because it means to see. (laughs) Think about that. Yeah, laugh, you think I'm nuts. It means to see, it means to experience. It doesn't mean to observe from afar, though. It means to be right there in it. Do you understand what Jesus is praying? For those of us that have believed on Jesus Christ as Savior, someday the Father is going to answer this prayer so that we will be where Jesus is and we will be right there in the glory. Jesus can't pray this prayer without the father answering it the father is going to answer this prayer in fact for some he has already answered this prayer it means to see to observe by experience the answer to this prayer jesus says is because of the depth and the length of his love jesus says because you have loved me before the foundation of the world And the reason why he can make this prayer is found in the name. In verse 25, O righteous Father. Would you look at your Bible with me? I want you to see a pattern in chapter 17. It's it's a pattern that comes out of Bible study. Six times in this prayer, Jesus mentions the term Father. I want you to notice in verse 1, 
Then verse 5, he says, Father. Verse 1 and verse 5, he says, Father. And then in verse 11, he says, Holy Father. Emphasizing being set apart, transcendent, and free from sin. As he prays for the preservation and the holiness of the disciples, he emphasizes the holiness of the Father. Now notice as he prays for the future, he says in verse 21, Father. And then in verse 24, he says, Father. And now in verse 25, he says, O righteous Father. And it would appear that Jesus is appealing to the righteousness of the Father. Father, you are right and you do right. And within the counsel of the decree, the agreement has been that on the basis of faith in me, those who believe in me will be brought into your righteousness forever. And so he is appealing to the character of his father and basically saying, you have promised and I know you will see it through. The reason why we can say without a shadow of a doubt that people can know for sure that if they were to die, they would go and be in the glory of God because they believed on Jesus Christ as Savior is because of the character and nature of our God. He is righteous. He does the right thing. He cannot go back on his word. He cannot change his mind. There is a security that you and I have because of the nature and the character of our God. So you know what? Hugh comes to the end of his life fighting like crazy against cancer. And he says, all I want to do is see Jesus face to face. Guess where he is? He's there. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Oh, that will be glory for me. Jesus says, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love wherewith you loved me may be in them and I in them. And that promise continues on until we are here today. Those who experience the love of Jesus Christ through the message that we proclaim, they are brought into a vital union with God through Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit. There is unity in the body. And on the basis of that unity, there is the hope of glory. Would you look at Romans chapter 5 with me today, please? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. Proven, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why should you persevere? Because of the hope of glory. Why stay in that marriage and love that difficult spouse? Because of the hope of glory. 
Why run hard after Christ in the middle of financial difficulties? Because of the hope of glory. Why bring Christ your heartaches when you have endured the most heart-rendering pain? Because of the hope of glory. Because in chapter 18, Jesus goes to the garden and is arrested. And He will die on the cross. And He will suffer and pay the price for our sin. And He will defeat sin. And He will defeat death. And He will defeat the grave. And He will rise again. So that when we believed His righteousness would be credited to us upon faith in Him. And now we have a hope that does not disappoint. We have The hope of glory. Why cry out how long as you wait for a family member to repent? Because you have the hope of glory. Why go to work tomorrow and do a job that you really don't enjoy? Because that job is God's gift to you and you have the hope of glory. Why fall on your knees and ask the God of heaven to intervene and be involved in the life of a family member or a church member? I'll tell you why. Because we have the hope of glory. How many of us can remember when Doc Kempton would come by and share and would preach and he'd talk about people, missionaries serving in different fields and talk about people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and he, he just had a facial expression and he had some, see, he had some, uh, the way he would close his eyes and, and, and scrunch his, his eyebrows and he would just say, glory. Oh, I remember that. He was always thinking about glory. Do you understand what Jesus has done to his disciples? He is going to go to the cross the things that they're about to face in the next few days are going to rock their world. And the last thing that he leaves with them is he says, it will be worth it all because the Father is going to put us together in glory. Do you know where you're going this morning? Do you have a hope that does not disappoint in you? Do you have the hope of glory? I'll tell you what, if if we were to capture that, if the Spirit were to impress upon us today the reminder that we are on the the winning team and that no matter what circumstances we face, that does not remove us from the love and that does not remove us from the victory. If we truly were to be gripped by the fact that we have the hope of glory, because that's what he closes the prayer with, He says, Father, remind these men, may it always come back to their minds that no matter the task I've given to them, no matter what they face, they have the hope of glory. This morning, I want you to understand that union with Christ and unity of the body is what allows me to look forward to the hope of glory. Let's pray. That God would come to you and pray for just a number of different situations today. There are some that could be brokenhearted. There are some that that feel weak and maybe in a in a place where they just want to give up. And there could be some that have gotten just tired because of 
waiting and waiting and waiting for so long. We come to you and ask for strength and we might be reminded of this truth. The truth that you will answer because you're righteous. That disciples will be where you are. Jesus told them, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For the discouraged person, I pray that they would be reminded of the hope of glory. For that person who has chosen to walk away from their responsibilities, I pray that they would be strengthened because of the hope of glory. For that person who is dabbling in sin and pursuing a life that is not pleasing to you. Remind them, Lord, of your holiness and your righteousness and help them to live in pursuit of your glory. Lord, all of us, whether we're retired or whether we're elementary age, give us a big view of God. Strengthen us and encourage us us because of the great promise you've given to us. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.